Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, February 18th. Speak the truth kindly, never in a judgmental spirit, and never sarcastically. Speak it to be helpful, not to destroy another person's self-confidence. Ooh, wow. Never destroy another person's self-confidence. There's a, there's a lot of very strange conventions going on in our culture right now especially in the West, perhaps especially in the incredibly competitive environment in which I live, which is Silicon Valley. I don't actually live in that environment because I live within Ananda community within Silicon Valley, but it is the environment that surrounds me. And just we've, we've really, really gotten confused as to what our values are as a culture and as a planet, and certainly as an, the country of the United States has gotten very confused. Which is why I believe Divine Mother is stirring the pot. You know, this is being recorded in 2020. Well, whenever you view this, I don't know what will happen in 2021 because I'm recording it uh, now and I don't know. But we don't know what this, what the end of this year will be. But um, this year, Divine Mother just flipped the whole planet over and just in a matter of days. This is now the end of the summer and last spring. Just put us all you know, sent a plague, a new kind of plague. Well, I guess actually illness, sickness is not a new kind of plague, but um, at this time, you know, fire, famine, flood, locust, these are historically the plagues, but plague itself is one. And so the, the world is really, really quite confused about what is truth, where happiness comes from, what is the right way to live, and we're all just having to reorient ourselves. And one of the well, uh, I've lived with for, for 50 years, ever since I met Swami Kriyananda, with the fact that Master said that there would be serious interruptions to the established order of society, rather than you know, the world, uh, us being able to live in the confidence that generation after generation would be predictable based on the past. Master brought the... Um, the emphatic news that we're moving from one yuga into another, from one age, one huge cycle of time on the planet into another cycle of time, and that we're in an ascending cycle from, from the age of matter to the age of energy, which is Kali Yuga is the age of matter, Dwapar Yuga is the age of energy. And we're in a transition that, that started in 1700, really got launched in 1900. And this period of time will last, it's, tw- it's a 2,400-year cycle. So it's not like in my generation or the generation that comes after, we'll see the completion of it. But it's a long cycle, and, and w- it's an advancing cycle in the sense that there's technological advances and there's advances in consciousness. But it's also actually a rather insecure age because the shift from matter as the definition of reality to energy as the definition releases a lot of energy, releases a lot of individual potential and 
releases a lot of um, rejection of, of the way things were done before. And, and there's this huge influx of energy which turns to rejection but is not yet stable in what it wants to replace it with. So what we're working with is uh, the way Swamiji put it, which is a very clear way to put it, which you, you may have heard me say, but it's worth thinking about again, is that most of the time society is shaped like a cigar. If you were going to do sort of like a picture where either end of the cigar is the worst expression of human nature and the best expression of human nature, or you can think of it as a very materialistic view of the world or a very spiritual one. And most people just kind of, the the cigar is really fat in the middle. And most people hang out in the kind of gray area. They're neither black nor white. A few people are are pretty dark and a few people are very bright, but most, most of the people on the planet just live without having a real distinct shade. In, in an age like this one, the demographic of, of humanity gets to be shaped like a dumbbell. And if you think of a dumbbell, it's very, very skinny in the middle. And there's you know two huge weights on either side. And they're actually almost equal. And that's what we're caught in right now, which is there's a tremendous movement toward expanded consciousness and empathy and compassion and um, attunement with God in a very deep and real way or spirituality in a liberating form. And simultaneously, there's a, a huge retreat to tremendous sense of threat that the cherished institutions would be undermined or that the power and the self-worth that I have based on those institutions would be undermined. And so it's huge clashes. So I've lived all my life with um, Master saying, Master's strong prediction, that we were involved in a tempestuous time while these two forces sort of work each, each other out. And for thir- the last 30 of those 50 years, I've lived in Silicon Valley, which is the, you know, the global center of, of the Dwapar Yuga technological growth, and actually to a very large extent also the spiritual, because the San Francisco Bay Area has just been the, um, the cradle of all of this new thought. And to a tremendous extent, it has been from the beginning, from the 60s. You know, a lot of it just came right out of this area. So we have technology and we have spirituality and we have it all sort of coming up together. But it's all coming up with this ever-increasing intensity of just Dwapara Yuga energy unleashed. And I've just sat here from my perspective of being part of Ananda. So I'm in it because I live right here, but I'm also not of it. So I can watch it, I can feel it, I can even in peripheral ways participate in it. I have friends who are very involved, I'm very well informed, but I also just watch it and I just see the, the frantic acquisitiveness and the frantic individuality. I call it frantic individuality because it's, it's this um, feeling of needing to pr- take care of and protect myself. And this is what I was talking about at the beginning, this super competitive edge and this necessity to get ahead and the need to assert yourself and um, even the thought that the way to help each other is to point out each other's faults and your, your um, corporate evaluations are always a big list of what you've done wrong. And it's just, it's, it's not really the way we grow. That's the only way I can say it. You know, we grow by expanding our identity. We grow by 
by cultivating our strengths. We, go, we grow by, by finding a sense of being loved in this world. And I don't mean a dependent sense that everybody else tells you you're wonderful, but from an inner sense of deep relationship to a higher reality, which automatically puts us into empathy and into sympathy with the world around us. My friends and I were talking just in the one generational shift since I, even since my own peers, you know, many people of, of my generation, um, you started working for one company, and if it was a good company, you could retire from that same company. Now, and this is just the truth, at least in Silicon Valley, if you stay too long in one company, it doesn't look good on your resume. Why haven't you been moving around? Why haven't you been upgrading? Why haven't you been expanding? One of my friends, my age, was just talking about her her peer group in the company she had worked in for 30 years, suddenly meeting a different generation where she, she described it that she had relationships with her peers and she observed that the generation coming afterwards had alliances with their peers. And when those alliances no longer served them, it was understood that they would be dissolved. Now, it's just like, you know, the, she, and she herself was you know, just having to integrate what that meant in terms of how it just puts you more and more on your own and how, mm, how lonely that is and how insecure that is. And of course, we see the signs all around us. So when Swami just says something, you know, even if when you have to tell the truth, tell it kindly, you know, and not with judgment, and especially not with, oh goody, now I have an edge up on you. It's, it's like we really are all in this together. Um, but what it depends on what it is. If we think we're all competing for limited resources, then of course we're competing for limited resources. And, and a lot of the, um, you know, the, the modern thought is uh, the survival of the fittest. And that's what's really touted. And the idea that there would be a divine plan that actually makes your welfare more important than mine is not so popular anymore. Swami Kriyananda wrote a book back in, uh, he published it in 1972, actually. It was one of the, it was the first, it was the first serious book he wrote. He had actually published a few others before that one came out, but he worked on it for 10 years. And it, he first called it Crises in Modern Thought. He later called it Out of the Labyrinth. The labyrinth created by all of these ideas that people are just taking as if they're true. And Swamiji's, it's a, it's a wonderful book. And if you are sort of facing a dilemma of not quite knowing how to reconcile a great deal of what is popularly thought to be true with an intuitive sense of more lasting values. Now, the only issue with that book is there's a lot of science in it and so on, which now is 50 years old. But nonetheless, the value of it is still there. And the seed ideas that Swamiji is addressing are still profoundly influencing our society. And what he does in that book, and I won't try to replicate it here, I'll just finish my advertisement for it, is that he shows how the same logic can just go in a completely opposite direction. It doesn't have to lead to meaninglessness. See, that's what the book was, Crises in Modern Thought, an answer to the seeming meaninglessness of, of life. It doesn't have to lead there. It can lead just the opposite, the same evidence. And he, 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 he used the same arguments 
They were used to create meaningless, and he used it to create meaning. The later title, Out of the Labyrinth, which he, he really rewrote the book, for those who want to believe but can't, is how he put it. Can't with intellectual integrity, giving us a way to find integrity. So Swamiji here, just in this very little um, statement, is just reminding us that, that that which we... Well, here's another way to put it. I mean, there's, there's the, the modern way of describing karma, which is that which goes around, comes around, which means if I send it out, it's going to come back to me. And th- that's not only true just in terms of divine retribution or even human revenge, but it's also whatever vibration of consciousness I emanate, that it, it's not only the vibration of consciousness that I project, but that also becomes the, vi- the attracting vibration. So if the vibration I put out is one of disregard for other people's self-esteem, disregard for their well-being, lack of empathetic concern for the impact of my words as long as I get ahead and get what I want, then what we do is our own vibration becomes one of all of those things. Lack of empathetic concern, the value that the only thing that matters is to get ahead. It doesn't matter about self-esteem. I'll just trample on who I want to trample on. And that's how we're vibrating. So out of this whole energy universe, what kind of energy is going to come back to us? Like attracts like. And so what will happen is, of all the vibrations in the universe, this is the, this is the one we're vibrating on. So whenever those vibrations are near us, they will match our own. Our aura itself will be that vibration. So those, those vibrations will just swoosh right into us. Whereas if the vibrations that we ourselves have created by what we have allowed to flow through us is empathy and support and kindness, when sarcastic, unkind vibrations come near us, that there will, we will have a, an aura that is different than that. And so, at least to some extent, those negative vibrations, like a meteor coming through the Earth's atmosphere, will at least be mitigated by the energy that we've put out. Now, unfortunately, the law of karma is not that simple. I wish it were. But even if we still have karma to attract negativity, the only way we're going to change that karma is by creating an alternate vibration within ourselves. And so just Swami's advice, be helpful, just like that. Be helpful, be encouraging, be truthful, but kind. Speak the truth kindly, never in a judgmental spirit and never sarcastically. Speak it to be helpful, not to destroy another person's self-confidence. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.